Hello. If it's your first time listening, welcome along. If you have been with us since our humble beginnings all the way back in October, it's good to have you again. I'm Dylan Haskins. And I'm Lisa Hannigan. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Usually we pick out some recent cultural sounds and happenings to chat about, but this morning, as we came in to do that, Dermot O'Leary, he of BBC Radio 2 and ITV's X Factor, was sat in the studio chair and he has refused to leave. So we've, <laughs> we've had to change what we do and we're going to do a show around him instead. Well, that's disconcerting. So it's as a slight <laughs> antidote to the uh, consumerism of the festive season, this show is going to be sort of like Dermot's Christmas cultural shopping list. And we'll throw in a few suggestions as well. Welcome along, Dermot. Hi, how are you? I'm, uh, I am, I'm a little thrown that we've had to make up this new show I on know, the spot. I'm so sorry. It's rubbish, isn't it? I was, and I look forward to listening to your show. So I feel like I'm spoiling it. <laughs> Not at all. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm pre- I'm thinking about my jingle. I'm just waiting for you to do things so I can do my jingle and I can relax. Then. You know, Lisa does a jingle yeah. on the on the Radio Two show that I do. It's not Dermot in the morning. He's on in the afternoon. <laughs> you've His been, you've been doing a jingle for someone else. I know. I've just been jingling around the BBC. BBC oh Radio <laughs> Two. BBC Radio Wow, you know it. You know it pretty well. Oh, Dermot. Oh, Lyra. All right, Dermot, just plugging your show here. You're coming over, taking our show. Actually, I'm only plugging my jingle. That's the best bit of the show. It's three hours of downhill after that. I tell you, my whole whole career has just been distilled into making jingles now. You know. So are you ready? Are you ready for my Christmas jingle? I'm just, I'm trying to think how I can draw it out before I say it, just to keep you on edge before you do that. This is Soundings. Soundings. Oh, that was short and sweet. Can you do it? Can you do it to any other Christmas songs? No. Can you no. do Silent Night Soundings? Soundings. Soundings. I mean, that's Soundings. In the bleak mid sounding, you should play that halfway through podcast. Yeah, just to you're kind of you in the middle of it. I just sung, by the way, as well, just in case at the first. Have you oh, never sung before? Not on this. I always want to shut up. But we did the, we did an episode with Harry Shearer and Judith Owen a few weeks ago, and they all sung Silent Night together, and I was just sat here weeping at the at the beauty of it yeah. all, <laughs> but also weeping at my own lack of talent. So. But you should. I mean, Lisa is a singer. She has told me she'll give me a singing lesson. I have to sing this this Christmas. You're a singer. Can you give a singing lesson? Yeah, I think so. No, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying is it easy to teach someone to sing if you're a singer? I don't know. I imagine so, in that I think so much of it is confidence, you know. And like I think so many people, probably you included, were told when they were little, oh, you can't sing. And then you. You told that. And so you don't. Well, I'm still told that. I, I, was, I, was, I, I was singing on Sunday, Sunday night. I started into a chorus of Raglan Road and luckily for everybody sitting around, my cousin came over and said, no, Dylan, shut up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you're an Irish kind of uh, hoedown or any form of sacrament when, you, when you're duty bound to sing and someone comes up and tells you you can't sing, you know you can't sing because everyone sings on those tough. twos. I think exactly. it was the second song I was singing in, the, in, in quite a long night. And I don't think many other people had sung at that point. It was point the Raglan you were singing when they came up and told you to stop singing. Yeah, which I usually nail. It's one of the ones that it's I can quite actually kind of get. It's quite a long drawn out. Do you know what I mean? We could go into that as well. We could just do a sing song show. Like instead. so many Irish songs, once it starts, you know it's a, it's a long way yeah. to go. There's, yeah. It's a long road ahead of you. That's why you have to be Luke Kelly to be able to get away with it. That is true. But then if that was the attitude, then no one would ever sing in yeah. pubs, you know? That's what well, maybe they shouldn't. 
<laughs> no, I think it's good. I think you should give us a little bit of rock and roll there. Yeah, do it. Come on. Right now. You, you I haven't had those nearly dingers. enough non-brand specifics porter to uh, or stout <laughs> to to, um, to 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 warm up the the throat. Do <sighs> you know when I was coming in this morning at seven a.m. I was making myself a coffee in the kitchen and my housemate appeared in full rave costume. He was wearing neon leggings, shorts over them, a hoodie that was kind of hanging off at the shoulder. And was he on his way out or on his way in? He was coming in to work. He's getting ready for work. This is pre-morning, normal. It's a Wednesday morning. He was going to a morning rave. In a cycle or anything? Just, just, just <laughs> dressed like that. It, this is the thing. He does cycle, but I've never seen him dressed like that before. And I, and I had to kind of politely ask, Are you, is, is, have you got dressed for work yet? Or is this your weird nightwear that you've gone? Right. So when do you, you rave at seven in the morning and then go on to work? So it's a thing called, I've just, he's just sent me a video as I was on the train then. I got a video saying rave in full flow. But it's a thing called morning glory. And they do this, they say, well, you know, it's the best form of exercise. So why not have a dance? They do it from 6.30am to 10.30. You go along, you bring, wear something comfortable, wearing your pyjamas if you want. And you get a smoothie or you get something else and you proper have a rave. I don't think I'd be able for that unless I was jacked up on um, non-brand specific. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to be honest, like at the best of times, I don't think I'd be up for. No, I, I just wonder if everyone's so asleep that no one even, you know, it's a, it's the same as having had lots to drink that it's, you're just so. Bloody, I suppose. Yeah, but it's a good way to it's, wake up. You it's a really work. good way to wake up. I like the, I like you know it's one of those things that I like the fact I like knowing that. The, Somebody out there is doing that. Yeah, but it's and not supporting it. Yeah, I, I support their their life choices and you know their energy, and uh, but um, would it be rave music as well? Yeah, they have proper like it's kind of I'd say it's, it's quite just my ticket. No, I wouldn't say it's very mind. like you know full on intense deep stuff because people are dropping in and out, so no one's been there. It's not like the night has gone on and <laughs> it's reaching a climax. I'd say it's just kind of drop in, coming in for half an hour. <laughs> I'm, off, I'm off, to, off to work gotta, now. Gotta go do accounts. <laughs> but Weatherall's on in five minutes now. I've uh, got a big meeting today. Well, maybe we should try that next time. Next time we've got a soundings. We'll, we'll just have a little dance party, a little half hour dance party in here. Me and my wife went down to the Goodwood Revival a couple of years ago. And it was the the year that um, Wayne Hemingway curated the whole thing. So there was a, oh, nice. there was all different tents between 40s, so starting in the 40s, so 40s tent, 50s tent, and the big, big marquees. And we and we sort of we love the vintage stuff, so we went straight to the forties. And there was a kind of you know, Glenn Miller style band playing, and they were serving cocktails inspired by the forties. And everyone was in dress. And it looked it was terrific. And I went to the there was a sort of portaloo outside, and uh, and I went into this portaloo, and there's this guy getting changed out of this beautiful kind of vintage retro um, double-breasted suit. And I said, "Yeah, you were right there, fella." And he said, "Yeah, I'm having such a good night, but." Um, the wife wants to go to Weatherall in the 90s tent and, and as I was saying this, it was essentially putting on a bin bag and the young glow sticks and it was like, so uh, yeah, better go. And it <laughs> the next minute he was in the 90s tent raving away. Wow. They did, I saw a music video that they did where they did, um, they took Daft Punk's Get Lucky and did it in each era, how it would sound. So it oh, went from brilliant. 40s, 50s and it was kind of went from being... Did Daft Punk do that or...? No, it was oh, some, right. some internet person and it kind of, it, it goes through each era with according respective sunglasses that would have been worn that's how you know what you're in. So you, even, you even have the, the kind of 80s shades with the, but um, it's actually sounded quite good in, in some of the early 40s ones I'm sure the doo-wop version sounded pretty good I think mm. probably a doo-wop version of anything sounds pretty good to be honest that is true I was, imagine 
Or the French resistance accordion version. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that there probably is a version singing it's the most covered song ever (laughs) by bands and radio sessions now. It's um there must be someone doing that. Probably French radio would be a good place to go. It's almost a prerequisite of French radio that it's done like that. All accordions and French radio. All right, shall we talk about some, some, some Christmas things? This is sort of an antidote to the cultural things. This isn't a normal shopping list. So maybe you can pick up a few tips from this. Well, I've sort of been put on the spot here, if I'm honest with you. Okay. Um, you know, when someone asks you your favourite song of all time, you go, oh, it's X. And you walk away and go, it's not X at all, it's Y. And I've done that and I realised not many of these are really Christmassy. They're all quite dark. I haven't seen... Uh, I, the only one I'm familiar with is 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 one of your non-fiction choices here, but I, I haven't seen any of the others according other than that, Lisa. Do you want to start no, a non-fiction, which is the Andrew Marr History of Great Britain? There's two books. There's one... You'll have to forgive me now, because the, 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 the almost the identical title, which meant that I, I think I bought the same book twice. Once, and then <laughs> put it back. But, but he's essentially written two books, one from, I think, the death of Queen Victoria up to the, up to the, the start or the end of the Second World War. I think the end of the Second World War. And then... Um, and then a, and then a second is from 1945 up to, I think, the end of Margaret Thatcher. And were they both corresponding to TV well, series? He did, yeah, he did the TV series. I found out, out about it in the TV series, which is quite strange because you think there's something, the wonderful thing about television is it's it's so sort of kind of bite-sized and, 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 and uh, you know, you can condense something down and make it very accessible, which people will either rail against or they I personally think it's terrific because obviously it's a mass medium that opens it up to people um, but then for me it's a, then I like to then buy the book and then delve a little bit deeper and it's a holiday read because it's one of the I don't know about you guys but I read a lot but I read a lot in bed which means that you fall asleep while you're reading and then I have that terrible five pages ahead and then six pages back so you wake up (laughs) you sort of pick up the book the next day and go I remember none of this and then you go back to where you were page before and go oh yeah no here we are and then (laughs) I have that collection I never never finish things for it even when we're reviewing you know books for this podcast Lisa always has the whole you know 700 page tome and she has it read in two days whereas (laughs) Lisa how do you read so fast because I'm quite a slow reader uh, don't have a real job. That <laughs> 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 helps considerably. So it's a brilliant book, and it's and the lovely thing is it's con, it's so concisely written. So there, there are chapters about Music Hall, for example, and how Music Hall was uh, kind of the Hollywood almost of its day, and and um, and the Music Hall stars were were seen as. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's there's so many similarities with today's day and age. That can, you know, the more we think, we're sort of living in these kind of vacuous, slightly immoral times. And you look back at it and, and it was almost exactly the same in, you know, in, in, in Edwardian Britain where you had this music hall and, and 50,000 people would turn out to see, uh, you know, the opening of something or, you know, it, I mean, it was, it, it's a great book. And it's so, it's so sort of concisely written, in the same, you know, and in the same way, you know, we have you know, things like The Only Way is Essex, they have their own kind of, you know, a, a kind of tittle-tattle scandals, I suppose, that people were as obsessed with of the day. And then it just goes through, um, you know, war and, and and the interwar years, which are really interesting as well. It's, he, it, I mean, he's such a great writer, Andrew Mark. He, he's, he's, so, he's my favourite broadcaster. He, just, he, he has that ability to cut through all of the kind of fat and get at the... There's none of the, the grandstanding that you can get in, in history programmes sure. or any of that but type of thing. But also there's a charm about him which I really like, both in his writing and his broadcasting, where you never feel like, you know, with the greatest respect to some of them, you never feel like he's bludgeoning his way through an interview and, you know, he's just beating up on someone, which which is effective, but is, is so sort of brutal that some, some, mm. sometimes you just kind of roll your eyes at it. Whereas 
with Andrew Meyer, you get the sense that he's genuinely interested and sometimes there's an empathy to him as well, but he still doesn't shy away from important questions. Mm. I really, yeah, it's a great book. It's a really good book. It's, and it's a long book. It's about five, 600 words. Um, so you've got to really immerse yourself in it. But like I said- Five, 600 words, that must be a whole two pages. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, it's a pamphlet. Um, it's the pamphlet for Christmas. It's and, a text, it's a text. Um, and he's just, yeah. It's, and, but everything's, so, but he's, he's, everything's bite-sized, which is terrific. You know, you, you never feel like you're, have you ever read Moby Dick? No, it's one of the ones that I was given as a child. It's a great book, but when you sit down and read it, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of Boys Own Adventure meets uh, like quite intensive National Geographic special. Yeah. So it's you will, you'll, you'll have just finished this incredible chapter uh, where, you know, they've been chasing the whale and the, the whale's just got away and, you know, Ishmael comes away just with his life or whatever. And then the next, the next chapter will, we, today we caught a right whale. I shall now explain the inner workings of a right whale. And you're like, okay. And then you flick through and you realise that chapter's 30 pages long and all it is is about anatomy. Think, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm 200 words in now, uh, 200 pages in now, rather. I've got to keep going for it. Uh, whereas Mars, the opposite to that, in that, you know, you know that when you start a chapter, you can go, okay, I can get a broad breadth of this within about 20, 30 pages. And it's, well, sticking with the subject of whales, which you've conveniently led us on to, let's go on to your, your documentary choice, which has been in, in cinemas and is up for an Academy Award, I think, isn't it? Um, Blackfish. Have you seen this? No. I saw the trailer last night and I, I feel slightly traumatised. The trailer's unbelievable, isn't it's it? Pretty, pretty full on and uh, upsetting. A lot yeah. of people, I've heard a lot of people talking about this and it's constantly, yeah. have you seen it? And I keep saying, it's one of those ones where I keep saying no, so... This is a documentary about um, a uh, a killer whale. Well, it's not really. It's kind of. It's it's more than that. It's really about the director's called Gabriella Copperthwaite or Cowperthwaite, and it's a, the, the the killer whale that they're focusing on is, a, is this, uh, this killer whale called Tilikum, who's now about thirty five, forty years old and captured off um, off the coast of Iceland, and um, and and subsequently has has been in Sea World and is is. is maybe not responsible but certainly um is involved in the death of three individuals over a period of time but it, it's con- obviously it's told from one side and there's a lot of conjecture and, and so forth but essentially it's really about 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 capturing an, a, a a wild animal that does it show how you can how, how well you i mean you can, i don't think that happens now but they i mean actually the most i mean there's some incredible footage in this there's this this is extraordinary unfolding of events where this incredibly well-trained diver and Tillicum takes him down, drags his foot under and he he's able to hyperventilate and he's a very experienced diver and he goes down to the bottom of this pool three times and then he comes up and then he never panics and he just strokes Tillicum and just, and just realises it might happen again and Tillicum lets one leg go, bites the other leg, takes him down again. And this happened three times and then lets him go and this guy swims. You you can't help but just feel for this whale when it's there. Essentially, from what the documentary purports, and, and, and it's difficult because SeaWorld declined to take part in the documentary, so it's obviously it obviously is one sided, and yet you can't help if you're you know anything other than a half decent intelligent person, you can't help but feel like immense sadness for this incredibly intelligent dolphin who 
um, you know, is taken from its mother at a very early age and has been put in captivity and it has the same lifespan as us. So to all mm. intents and purposes, it's in a prison and they bring it out to the big splash in SeaWorld at the end and that's it. So it just sort of comes out. Here's Silicon, everyone gets soaked and then he goes back into a relatively small pool. Yeah. And it has the, you know, the, the cognitive ability of a six-year-old child. So you can understand why, therefore, it, was, it will lash out and it's lashing out has involved in, you know, meant it was involved in the death of three people but it's it's hard because the you know I, I'm, I'm over around the corner from London Zoo and we go there quite a lot and speaking to one of the guys there and he said the whole you know when David Attenborough started in 1950 he, the first show he ever did was a show called Zoo Quest where they went out and captured animals to put them in a zoo that's what they did wow. that, was the, that was the basis of the show so they but now the, the whole from you know from, from the little I know of it but speaking to people who work in London Zoo the whole model now it's completely different, whereas their model now is, is just gene preservation. So the habitat's being destroyed in the wild and the whole notion is that they want to preserve the genes and then, say, for example, the Sumatran tiger, then breed the tiger through three or four generations down the line to become more and more scared of man. You know, the public won't see the tigers. We, you know, if the tigers do become extinct, get to a point where you can reintroduce a tiger to the wild without, uh, and for that tiger to be able to fend for itself. How Whereas, do they do that and combine that with the with the London Zoo model, whereby people have to come and look at look well, at that's the thing. Do they, you, do they you have do, a secret you, zoo? You do it. I, I don't know, but you do this over a period of time. Whereas this this this. I mean, I was going to say the the most poignant interview they do with this is this guy who, um, in the nineteen seventies off the coast of California, when the, 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 there was this kind of, I suppose, a grey area in terms of the legality of it, um, captured a uh, killer whale calf and then three or four of, the, of the, the pod died out of trauma and he had to cut them open, put stones in them and sink them to the bottom. And at the time he was a 22-year-old guy. He said he was just following orders and he's in. He's now a 60-year-old kind of grizzled man and, and he just said that he's fought in two wars, he fought in Nicaragua, he's seen the most extraordinary, horrific things and he said, but he'll never forgive himself for what he did that day and he has tears pouring down his cheeks. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible documentary. Christmassy. Yes. And most importantly, Christmassy. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It. I mean, it's like keeping a person in a cupboard, really. Yeah, That's essentially, like, even if it is one-sided. It's the plot of the first no... Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like Harry Potter. Um, if only it was about magic ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think even if it is one-sided, anyway, you slice it, you can feel that that's wrong. Keeping it. Yeah, it's only one-sided because SeaWorld declined not to take part in it. But yeah. <laughs> still, it's still it's a and pretty... probably because what could, what could they say? Yeah. But not saying no. What they actually this is. This is all pretend. It's actually the scene. Well, there's a there's a petition now, where at the end, uh, and they interview a lot of ex SeaWorld employees. But there's a petition now that they they should give Tillicum a, a kind of a pen in open water, and let him see out his days with relative freedom. And and um, you it's know. been in the news as well. Joan Jett has protested against them using her song "I Love Rock and Roll" to as the kind of entrance music for the show, and they've said they stopped doing it. She said she joined the protests with. Uh, Peta outside if, if they didn't and a bunch of other artists have pulled out of these weekend shows that they do as well so there's kind of a mounting campaign from any artists who are in any way involved in that oh, show against it which which the director seemed pretty I will not be doing a C-word jingle tell you that much <laughs> <laughs> probably already they have they're beating probably... my door now, I said. <laughs> no lads what's happening <laughs> I'm looking down to the rest of the list here and it's it's all quite dark don't isn't me? it God, when I see and you're wearing paper. black and it's Christmas. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, so your ticket thing is to go and see the woman in black. Yeah. 
It's that's quite scary, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's only because they said, uh, you know, pick something in the theatre, and all the things I've seen in the theatre recently have just finished. Whereas I know the Woman in Black's been going for ages. Uh, Second longest running ever. Twenty-five yeah. years, I think, isn't it? There's what's sort a of mousetrap, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. They. Um, I was reading in the paper this morning, though. Let the right one in is just is about to start. Mm. Or is, is going to start, which which looks terrific. I'd and love also to very see scary. That. I don't know. If, the thing is, we went. Me and my wife went to go and see um, Woman in Black before the film came out. It was just one of those. It's just one of those things, like in London, that you never really, when you live here, you never really get to experience the institutions of London. You might go and see a play that's on. Uh, you know, for a limited run. But, you know, I can't remember the last time I went to St Paul's Cathedral. Or, in fact, my niece is coming down from York very soon. I can't wait to take it because largely, because selfishly, I really want to go myself. <laughs> but it's one of those things, like you said, it's been going 25 years. And we went along and you, and you do think, you know, how we are bombarded with media nowadays. If anything can really make you properly scared, it's unlikely to be theatre. That's yeah, what I was. I was trying to think. I can't think of any scary stage stuff. Partly exactly. because of that collective thing. You're all sitting together, and, and, and stage just it goes for it. It tugs at different emotions yeah. than the kind of fright that you get from something appearing unexpectedly in film, mm -hmm. or or the kind of darkness that you can create. Because you know, even seeing people dying on stage is very often not convincing. Exactly, and especially seeing as though you sort of know the story to this play. You know, I mean, and and we, you kind of know that there's a solicitor, and he goes and he has to. You know, um, uh, kind of administer the will of this of this um, this recently um, deceased lady, and um, and then there's this kind of haunting, kind of skeletal woman in black figure that keeps appearing. So you know she's going to appear, and yet I don't, I, how they do it's just it just it's so atmospheric. And I don't know. I think great theatre always. I always feel whenever, whenever I, I love going to the theatre. When whenever I experience great theatre, I almost feel like I'm in tunnel vision. You know what I mean? So you're so it's almost like everything else is black around you, and you're just watching it. Um, and it, weirdly, I felt that in Lemis the first time I went to go to see Lemis. It's just <gasps> I love Lemis. Yes, I love Lemis. I do. do you like, are you a musical guy, Dylan? <laughs> Not really. No, I didn't think you would be, but you should go and go and see Lemis. It's terrific. I like the chorus line actually. I, I, I get similarly. My little sister was over visiting, and that's when I went to go to the West End. Yeah, musicals. I took her to a chorus line and. Um, but it's just I don't know it's Matilda's really immersive well. and there are, just, there are just parts in this where and it's really well acted so there are just parts in this where you you he's upstairs in this creaky old house in you know it's called Eel Marsh House and um, and he's he's upstairs in this house and he's going through all these papers and he's there on his own and he sleeps there on his own and no one will take him there so already you're there just going and it's on at the end of a causeway so already you're just there going nothing good's going to come of this and it's, I think he's got a dog for company it's just, honestly it's it's brilliant it's a great piece of theatre. I don't think I'd be able for it, though, honestly. Like, my friend Una told me about the trailer for Paranormal Activity. And I have to be very careful not to think about it before yeah. I go to sleep. And yet, every morning you wake up and go, nothing happened again. So I maybe know, I could watch Paranormal Activity. <laughs> It sounded very frightening. I think some people see a scary movie and that sort of shot of adrenaline is mm. really cool and exciting, but it actually, I just think... I never oh. liked horror films. Partly because, as I explained before, I'm not, I wasn't allowed up to the age of 18 watch under 18 films, so I missed out on all the horror yeah. films, except when I was sleeping over and I might see Scream or Freddy Krueger, which absolutely, oh. if they were the only things I saw, as they were the only things I saw, totally blew my mind and I like, hated, didn't want to watch horror films. Terrifying. Didn't need yeah. that feeling. 
My mate Neil Butler, <laughs> so when we were like 12, 13 during summer holidays, Neil would have movie club around his house in the morning of, um, you know, so we'd go around and watch like these really inappropriate films, like like horror films first thing in the morning with like all our friends. And then These really did, inappropriate things, like horror films. Uh, like horror films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not Porky's, horror films, honestly. And we would, um, and then he had one at Christmas and, uh, and I used to live, I lived about half a mile from his house. Um, and uh, and he showed um, Nightmare on Elm Street two, and then I remember we opened the door, and it was not a dissimilar day to today, and it was like a, it was about it was this this was end of an evening, and it was about you know ten o'clock at night or something, and it was just a, a real pea super. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face fog wise, and I just had to get home on my own. I'd never oh. ever <laughs> been more terrified in my whole life. You know when you run until you feel like you've you've got blood in your lungs. You know that's sort of yeah. like your heart's going to burst. That's how I felt. I, I sprinted home. Oh! Could you imagine? It? <laughs> I remember seeing the the cover of the video to Nightmare on Elm Street too, and being scared going Such to sleep. Such a great for years. premise, Nightmare on Elm Street. The idea that someone can kill you in your dreams. Yeah. Well. Oh. Wake up. Lisa. Let's stop talking about us. Wake up. Lisa. Well. I'll- <laughs> Just to send Lisa over the edge now, your box set is The Walking Dead. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Brilliant. At this point, Lisa's in Brilliant the corner German. of the room. Have you seen The Walking Dead? <laughs> I, of course I haven't. <laughs> oh, oh. I can't handle scary things. I mean, is it is it scary or is it kind of funny? It's not funny, It's it's but it's also not... It's, it's tense. It's not really... It's not a horror. Okay. It's just sort of what would people do in a post-apocalyptic world, really. Is it like Cormac McCarthy's The Road? Have you read that book? No, it's a, it's a bit. Yeah, I have. And that's that. God, I could have stuck that on here, and we could have had a really dark <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> but, um, it's not that. It's not that hopeless, and it's not that um, desperate. So, and and also, it's not at that stage. So, the idea is um, that, that that Andrew Lincoln played. It was based on a graphic novel originally, and then Frank Darabont, who um, did the Shawshank Redemption, Greenmar, he 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 adapted it into the into this. Um, Miniseries, well, not really miniseries, just kind of um, a long-running series for for I think AMC, which is a, is that American Movie Classics mm. in America, and it's played it's played it's played out on Fox over here, and I think it might have played out on Channel Five as well. I'm not sure. And the idea, Andrew Lincoln, who um, used to be in This Life, oh yeah, yeah, love that program, yeah, and he's growing up now, and he looks great, <laughs> like he looks terrific. He he wakes up after a cut. I mean, it's not dissimilar to the Killian Murphy. Uh, 28 Days Later film. Oh, amazing. You just said Killian Murphy to Lisa there. That, that always elicits a Is that a trigger? response. <laughs> <laughs> so, I saw the pupils dilate. That was like Pavlov's dog. Um, <laughs> Give me a break. Oh, I love. And he anyway, so he, uh, Andrew Lincoln wakes up 28 Days. He's a, he's a, a policeman in, um, in a small town outside Atlanta. And he wakes up and um, I, I haven't been in a coma and there's a, zombies have taken over. It's almost like an epidemic in that um, whenever you die, so if you, whether you die when you're six or you're 60, you become a zombie, whatever happens. At that age? Yeah. You don't grow there up. And then, right. And then you're, you're essentially the walking dead until you get stabbed in the head or shot in the head. So you have to decapitate to kill a zombie. So the ho- and Yeah, exactly. Gosh. So then it really becomes all about a survivor story. Which is sort of really what it's about, and entertaining what, ways of stabbing people in the head. Well, actually, weirdly, no, because that's the sort of. I mean, yes, but you get, they get over that. That's what I like about it is you get over that quite quickly. So within about two or three episodes, even of the first series, I mean, still you'll see it now. But it's really about how 
people survive and how people turn on each other and how people set up their own sort of little towns and communes and you know you get humans killing humans because they figure well you know the world's ended so kind of all morality either goes out there so how much civil how much morality and 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 how much of civilization you hold on to there's four seasons it's four seasons into that isn't it yeah i think there's about i think we're about three or four no five or six shows in and i think there's a it's commissioned as 14. It's always good to just get into something at the start and know you've got a whole series ahead. I've just started with The Wire and man, what a treat to have. Funny, isn't it? Those it's, are the things that, it's then, when, when does it become socially acceptable to say, I'm going to leave now because I want to go home and watch. And then it, obviously it surely must depend on that specific TV show. Or you're willing the day to be over. You're like, <laughs> I'm actually willing this day to be over so I can go home and watch a programme. Something is definitely wrong when that's the case. Blowing everything up, blowing off your morning raves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so the last one we're going to talk about is Philip Kerr, the author, and his Berlin War trilogy. Tell us about this. Do you know, do you know this Kerr. guy at all? Just, do, you, do you read much fiction or are you non-fiction guys? Ooh. But, uh, both. both but I've, no, I've never read anything so. I don't know where I stumbled upon this I think it might have been uh, quite a lot of, quite a lot of books in airports not not to read on flights because I love that kind of ritual of watching a movie on a flight and having dinner and then falling asleep but um, you, I end up sort of, sort of picking them up in airports because there aren't that many bookstores around to start with so and we're hanging about huh you're exactly about yeah. yeah so I found this and I I, I love crime um novels and love crime I love crime uh, <laughs> crime watch is one of my favorite speaking of which with crime watch I used to you know how you get scared with paranormal activity yeah did you you must have been great getting crime watch in in Ireland because you're just there going all well, of this happens in England so in Britain so I don't, I don't have well to. we had our own we had our own um what was it called I think it was called something like that a crime line or something and yeah I mean, there was murders and there was scary things, but there was also some hilarious crimes you'd see as well. There was an amazing programme on, oh, wow, I haven't thought about this uh, in years. You know Michael Burke? Yeah. And he, there used to be a programme called 999, and it was all... Mm-hmm. With spooky music, and then it would be stuff like, oh, he, th- this man woke up, just thought it was a normal day, and and then you're sort of all the awfulness, he falls off a cliff or something, and then it's all about him trying to be rescued by people. I remember that. Very yes, traumatic it was great. program. Gosh. Real life. Or oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Real life. Real life. Nine, nine, and nine how do they have cameras there? Oh, it was it's all reconstructions. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you had sort of people just... See, that was the thing as well. Along. Often the actors that they get for these reconstructions aren't... Are, can be quite second rate because sometimes, you know, if you're doing a reconstruction... I'm worried being an actor thing. in a reconstruction because if people think like people in soap operas are real people and they go up to I don't know, yeah. Shane Rich in the street and go how are you doing what you're doing think about how they are with crime watch actors so I did watch. see him I saw that guy <laughs> last week in the West End he was on a stage <laughs> no I'm not a murderer uh, so crime watch was great because we I, whenever I used to watch crime watch I used to have to go around and shut all the windows and doors in my house afterwards or even during in fact, afterwards, it's too late. They're in. They're in by now. <laughs> Berlin Noir is a book by a chap called Philip Kerr. And this is his first um, three books, hence a trilogy. Um, but it's kind of... I think one of the reviews calls... His, his, his lead character is a guy called Bernie Gunter. And one of the reviews calls this... Um, it's, it's Raymond Chandler. It's like Philip Marlowe with looser morals and a better education, which, <laughs> which is a really lovely way of summing it up. So he's a, he's an, he's a police officer. Um, for there's been about eight books uh, subsequently um, called Bernie Gunter and he's a police officer or a bull as they call him in um, in the Berlin police in the 1930s uh, so you've got this great backdrop of the last days of the Wehrmacht Republic and 
and this guy is a you know a, a kind of reasonable liberal um social democrat or christian democrat who is kind of regaling against the fact that the nazi party are kind of infiltrating the police and german society as a whole and it's kind of you know just just destroying him and yet he has to carry on doing his work and um yeah and and yet sometimes he has to work for them so as the, as the series goes on he ends up having to work for um Heinrich, who is the head of the ss and um i think he ends up having to work for goring as well he doesn't like any of these people and he ends up getting sent to the russian front because of it um so he so there's a real kind of gray area here with someone who is living in this kind of insane world and the world that's going to pot and and he adores the the kind of the germany and the berlin in particular that he that um he's kind of working in and, and the, the kind of the gray area and the, and the loose morals and so forth of um a sort of 30s berlin and yeah he's sort of heart's broken because he's got no alternative but to work for the people that he despises the nazis is always the ultimate kind of villains to go into for any kind of noir type of thing isn't it yeah i think so and I, I, what i like about this is it's 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 so centered in Germany, you know, there's no, I mean, as the series goes on and he fl it does, it's so clever the way he writes this because he flits between, so for example, the last book I read called A Quiet Flame, been framed and essentially has to take an identity of, um, this is post-war, uh, an identity of, a, of, a, of an SS guard and he ends up being in Argentina, um, where obviously, if, you know, a few of the Nazis fled to and he ends up working for uh, Peron over in Argentina to try and solve um, a murder within the local German community. And then he realises it has hallmarks of a case that he never solved back in um, pre-Nazi um, Germany. So so the story flits between him trying to solve this case in Argentina in 1954 and him in 1930 in, uh, in, in, in um, Berlin trying to, solve this, trying to solve the case that he never got to solve. And, and so he interlaces them really cleverly. So even though Gunther as a character gets older as the books go on, he you know he uses this kind of uh, this kind of flashback really well. It's, a, it's brilliant. It sounds written. amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's great, and it's really. Is it scary? Am I? Got, is this? How do I? This is the least scary. <laughs> Even <laughs> Andrew Marr's history of modern Britain. Okay. Is more so scary than this. This okay. is the least scary of my of all my Christmas. Okay. And what type of Nazis are they? Are they like you know Indiana Jones Nazis or like downfall Nazis? Because I feel like there is, we could, you could do a whole. Kind of, no, that's a good question. Could do a whole thing about the types of Nazis. Like all Nazis, they're 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 pretty they're a pretty rum bunch. You don't want to hang around with them. Um, and um, but he, the interesting thing, he's not a Nazi. But I, I don't know how historically accurate this is. But um, I think I think Kerr's a history professor uh, uh, is a professor of history, so I'd imagine it's, it's relatively accurate. He's got his facts um, He is uh, he's not a Nazi, but if he's in the police, you're forced to join the SS. So well, know. that's what I mean. I mean, you could have. There must be a lot of to do, to go into with people who have these moral dilemmas. That's the type of Nazi persona people who end up being in that. And well, there's also it's it's less so about about Nazis as a whole, but more about what's it, what's it like to be a German and a German in a, okay. in, a, in a in a position of authority when a political party you you despise comes into power, but you're still doing a job, and they're and so they're in charge and yet you're not you're, you're not a member of the party and all all the way through he's frowned upon and he, he hates communists as much as he hates Nazis um, but 
he has no choice but to become, become a member of the SS. But what's interesting is how he's treated by by Nazis. I mean, they look at him as a communist. But there you have Dermot's List, which is Blackfish, The Walking Dead, Woman in Black to go and see, Philip Kerr's Berlin Noir trilogy, and the scariest of all, Andrew Marr's History of Great Britain. Which is basically, honestly, they all murder three of them went in black. <laughs> History of Murder and Pillage would be the <laughs> Andrew Marr. <laughs> it's a very O'Leary Christmas. Uh, I'm really, I'm a very happy person. <laughs> I don't know how this has come about. <laughs> you got your zombies, you got your ghosts. Maybe these are to balance Nazis. out being happy. You need to, you need <laughs> to take it down a notch, you know? When do you get the time to do all this stuff as well? Because you're a busy man. Like that as well. Something's got to give, isn't it? That's it. Family responsibility. That's what I don't know. That's what I don't do. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't really. I mean, I have to watch a bit of telly before I go to sleep. Um, I um, And then when I'm not working as intensively as I am at the moment, then I'm, I love going to the theatre. So, and then, and then I read in bed. It must be hard to switch off when you come with the buzz. When you come back from, say, doing one of the X Factor lot of shows. Then you're you... up till about three, just literally watching anything on television. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to drink as much red wine as you can. But do not get drunk but enough to fall asleep. It's that really, it's that. Yeah. And it's a, I think there's a, there's a, the bridge of 175 millilitres. <laughs> and if you, you've got to get it exactly right to go, I've had enough just to go, oh, that's nice. I'll go to sleep now. And not enough to wake up next morning and go, oh my God, my head's killing me. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for coming in that there. Uh, maybe we can get on with our show we were planning to do. Now. <laughs> <laughs> <Beg your pardon. laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be telling me stuff, right? <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show and maybe picked up a few useful tips for some Christmas things to pick up for other people as well. If it was your first time listening, why not listen back to some of our other episodes? They're all here on iTunes as well. You can get to them by, there's a short link, bit.ly forward slash soundings pod. We did a special a few weeks ago, which might be a good place to start with Harry Shearer of The Simpsons and this is Spinal Tap. If you'd like to contact us, our Twitter handle is at SoundingsPod and please do send us your suggestions if there's anything that you think we should talk about because we will be back again in the new year with Soundings. So, that's all for now. Um, for me, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, Dermot. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>